Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswebaptist.org. You can be seated. Well, go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning is Titus chapter 2. We are in week 5 of a little series that we called uh, Restored Relationships. And the whole purpose, the whole kind of thing behind this series is that all of us, every single one of us in here have something in common, and that is we are all in some sort of relationship with somebody, whether you're married or, you know, you've got kids or, you know, hopefully you all have friends. If you're here this morning, we'll be your friends. Um, We all are in some sort of relationship with somebody else, but we know that the reality is we're also all sinners. It's another thing we all have in common, and because of that sin, Because of the brokenness that is in our lives, it brings brokenness into our relationships. So now our marriages, our our friendships, our relationships in the church body are harmed by our sin and by the other person's sin. But the other thing we know is that because of the good news of the gospel, our brokenness is restored. Our sin is washed away. As 2 Corinthians says, we are made a new creation because of the gospel, meaning our relationships can be restored. And so if you have a relationship in your life that is broken because of something you have done or maybe an approach you are taking, you can be restored in that relationship because of the gospel. Well, I want to start the sermon today probably differently than I think I've ever started any sermon ever, and that is by starting with a video. Now, this video, let me just kind of intro the video for you so you know what's going on. I came across this YouTube clip of this guy named Alex Honnold, who's a solo rock climber. Have you all ever heard of him? Okay, so this is going to be really interesting for you guys. He, what he does is he sees a massive cliff or massive rock wall, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to climb that by myself with no ropes or anything to catch me. And then National Geographic picked this up and they made a documentary about him where part of the documentary was going to be he would climb El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, which is 7,573 feet tall, by himself, with no ropes, no harness, no one to catch him, nothing. So if he falls, he's dead. So let's take a second, let's watch this little 30 second clip of Alex Honnold climbing this mountain. Okay, now let me ask you a question. How many of you would sign up to do that this week? Anybody, any takers? It's crazy, right? We look at a guy like this and we're like, what in the world are you doing? You're crazy, right? I think, amen, that's right. I think many Christians are living life like this guy. They're free soloing through their life. They think, you know what, we don't, we don't need the church. We don't need relationships in the church. We, we don't need the body of Christ. 
Instead, we'll just free solo it. I hear phrases like, people at churches are, hypo- are, are hypocrites. I'll just free solo life. I don't want to open up to anyone and be authentic, so I'll just free solo life. Something, someone said something mean to me one time, so I'm just going to free solo life. Even being here right now, you might still be free soloing it. See, just sitting through a sermon does not mean you have relationships with people. We need relationships in the church. Joe, can you throw up that other picture for me real quick? So let's just take a look at this. You see that, for those of you who are in the back, you see that little red dot right there in the middle? That is him. With no harness, with no help, nothing. If he missteps and he falls, he's a goner. Many of us are living life this way. See, God has designed us to be in relationships with other people, to act as the safety net, to act as the encouragement, to say, hey, don't put your hand on this boulder. If you put your hand on this boulder, you will fall. We need relationships with people in the church because the Christian life is a community project. It's not meant to be done by ourselves. One of my friends always says that lone wolf Christianity is suicide. And what he means by that is we were not designed to go through the Christian life as a lone wolf, but instead to do it in community. So the main point for this morning is really straightforward, that the Christian life is a community project. The Christian life is a community project. So flip in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1 together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, the urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us." Well, there's two principles I think we see here this morning from this passage on how we experience the Christian life together, how we have a restored relationship when it comes to our church relationships. And the first thing is this, we must unify around sound doctrine. We must unify around sound doctrine. So the context here in Titus chapter 2 is Paul is writing to Titus, which he's somewhere on the island of Crete, uh, which is kind of south of Ephesus. And they are experiencing a lot of false teachers in their church. People are coming in and saying, no, it's Jesus plus works. Your works save you or you have to do X, Y, and Z to be saved. And it's not what the true gospel is. So Paul is saying to Titus, Do not allow these people to take over the church. This is where we get to in verse 1 when he says, But as for you, previously in chapter 1 he's going through these different false teachers. And he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what is sound doctrine? 
What does it mean to teach or teach what is in accord with sound doctrine? Well, all the word doctrine means is simply what we believe about God and his word. So, for example, we have the doctrine of salvation, what we believe about salvation. The doctrine of sanctification, which is the doctrine of us progressively growing more and more in Christ. The doctrine of the Trinity, which is that God has existed eternally as one God in three persons. The doctrine of the church, which is what we're doing this morning together that we would covenant together to pursue God's mission and practice the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper like we're doing this morning. So we have all of these doctrines. It's what we believe about God and the Bible. But notice, Paul doesn't just say to Titus, teach doctrine, because anyone can teach what they believe. But he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the word here for sound can be also translated as healthy or true. The church at Crete was being invaded by all of this unhealthy doctrine. And Paul is urging Titus here to teach what is in accord with good and healthy doctrine. So the question then arises for us as a church, how do we determine what is sound doctrine? Well, the Bible alone determines what our doctrine is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Meaning there in verse 17, if we don't read the Bible, if we don't build our doctrine on the word of God, we will not be a complete church. We won't have complete doctrine. So what determines sound doctrine is in the Bible. God has revealed to us everything in Scripture we need for faith and practice, so there's nothing left unanswered, nothing we have to make up on our own. God has told us exactly what we are to believe. Now, here's what this means for you. Someone comes up to you, or you hear something on TV, and they say, this is true, and it's about God and His Word. If there's not a chapter and verse for it, it's not sound doctrine. We teach We believe, we unify around what the Bible teaches. You know, every Sunday morning when we preach, when we teach Sunday school classes, you're not hearing my opinions. You're not hearing Bob or Willie or Miss Carolyn's opinions. You're hearing the Bible because people need the Bible. You don't need my opinion. You don't need anyone else's opinion. You need Scripture. So we teach, we believe, we unify around sound doctrine. Now, in a church like ours... um, it's highly unlikely that we're ever going to be a church, you know, that, that comes out and says, we don't believe the Bible is God's word, or we don't believe that Jesus really is God. We're just not, our church is not going to do that. If you do that, we'll have some fun conversations right after service. But we know we're, we're just likely not going to be a church that comes right out and says something absolutely heretical. So what does sound doctrine look like for us? Well, you see, sound doctrine is much more than a simple knowledge base about the Bible. In Scripture, there's an, there's an inseparable connection between what we call faith and righteousness, what we believe about God and living for God. And so in a church like ours, the issue is not what we believe about God, because it's likely most of us, if not all of us, would affirm sound doctrine. We would teach and believe and unify around sound doctrine, where we're more likely to struggle living that doctrine out. And what we see in the next, you know, seven verses is what it looks like to live out sound doctrine. Meaning, if we don't live out sound doctrine, we don't have sound doctrine. We can know everything up here, but if it's not translated to our heart and into our hands, we don't believe it as much as we think we do. 
For example, if we say the Bible is God's word and we're building our church on the Bible, that's what we're doing, we're building our church on the Bible. If we say that, but then we're not in it each day as a church, we're not being people of the word, then our doctrine of scripture is not as sound as we think. If we say we love God and and God is love, yet we don't show love to all people, our doctrine is not as sound as we think. If we say we believe in church membership but won't engage in church life outside of an occasional Sunday or maybe a 20 in the plate, then our doctrine of the church is not as sound as we might think. True doctrine is displayed through our actions, not just by what we know intellectually. I know it's important to exercise and eat healthy, but if you watch me tear up a tub of ice cream, you will question how much I really know, right? See, it's a principle we apply everywhere else in life, but when it comes to Christianity, we seem just to let it slip through the cracks. What you know must translate to what you do. What I know must translate to what I do. So what does this mean for us as a church? Well, the problem for us is not going to be wrong belief, but it's going to be um, thinking all we need is belief, that we don't need good actions, good works. But the Bible calls us to both to knowledge of sound doctrine, which I think comes first, and then follows righteous living, faith and righteousness. So for you today, number one would be to live out sound doctrine. Live out what you know, what you, what you read in the scriptures. Don't let it just simp- sit here at church or, or stay in your quiet time. Live it out with your life. That's the first thing, live out sound doctrine. But secondly, submit to scripture as the litmus test for the church. Everybody and their mother has opinions on how church should be, right? What we should believe, what we should do, what we should um, harp on, what the important things are. And this is myself included. We all have opinions on what's important. But ultimately, it all rises and falls on Scripture. If one of us or if myself wants to do something that is, is unbiblical, what do we do? We submit to the authority of Scripture in our lives. So we submit to Scripture as the litmus test for our church. So the issue, though, is that living out sound doctrine is really hard, isn't it? It's very hard. So we need the help of fellow Christians in our lives to encourage us and help us stay on the straight and narrow path of living out sound doctrine. And this is where Paul actually goes into for the next seven verses here, my second principle, which is to foster mutual investment. Foster mutual investment. Let's look here again at verses... uh, We'll tell you what, we'll break them down one by one here. So Paul speaks of four different spheres here in verses 2 through 8. He talks about older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. What does this teach us about church life? This teaches us we need all of the ages in the church. All of the ages. From babies to 120. We need all the ages in the church. One thing we find very interesting throughout Scripture is that the church, a characteristic of a church, is never it's a young church or an old church. The church is Christ's bride, the church. So we're not an old church or a young church or a middle-aged church or a white church or a black church, a cool church or a lame church or whatever. We're the church. We're Christ's bride. So we are the church. Age is not a distinguishing characteristic of a church. The distinguishing characteristics of a church is its pursuit for God's glory and the furthering of his mission. Age is not a prerequisite 
Sure, there might be some uh, more older people or more younger people, but that's not the distinguishing factor of the church because the gospel cuts through all of that. But he does give some practical, um, I think, advice here for older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. Now, I'll just say this. You know if you're older or not, okay? I'm not going to put an age on it. I might just say if you have a really hard time getting up when we leave, you might be in the older category. But I am not going to put an age on that. I'll let you determine that. I want you all to still love me. And so I'm not going to tell you if you're old or not. So you can just use your own wisdom and discretion on that, I guess. But let's talk about the older people first. Look here at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Then we move into the younger people next. What do we see here that he says to the older part of the congregation? Do not sit around and take it easy. That's what I think we see here. Don't sit around and take it easy. I think it's interesting. If you look at the men and women here, he has kind of the same general instruction, but kind of more specific to maybe specific things generally that men and women struggle with. So if you're an older man, once again, you can determine the age on that. If you're an older man, don't spend every waking moment in front of the TV saying, "Um, I've done my time. It's time for me to relax and coast until the end. If you're an older man, you have so much left to give to the church. <clears throat> right up until the end of your life. Some of the most influential men in my life have been triple my age. You have so much more to give. You have so much more wisdom than I do. You've walked through life. You've been through life. That's something, I'm young, I haven't done that yet. You've walked through life, made mistakes I haven't made yet. You have wisdom that I don't have. You have a purpose here. Plug in. Don't just sit back and say, it's time for you know, the next generation. I'm just going to coast to the end. I know you might not have as much energy <laughs> as you used to, but you still have so much left to give. And then for the older women, um, I think he says here, don't sit around and spread rumors or cause dissension. I don't know if that's something women do, but I'm assuming by uh, Paul here, it might be some, some good wisdom. Don't spread dissension. Instead, recognize you too, just like the older men, you have a limited amount of time. Don't waste it. So for the older people, what can you do together? Number one, spend time in the Word. Spend time in the Word. You're likely now an empty nester. You're retired. Spend more time in the Scriptures. You will devote yourself to something. Devote yourself to this. Spend time in the Word. Spend time serving. I know you might not be able to go walk five miles knocking on doors, but there are so many things that you can do to serve. Then spend time investing in the next generation. Spend time investing in the younger people in the church. How do you do that? You might say, I've got nothing to invest. You do. You do have things to invest in the younger generation. Some of the things I've learned best in my life have not been in a sermon They've not been in a Sunday school lesson. They've been sitting across the table from someone three times my age and just listening to them talk. Just listening. To hear and see what does it look like to love your wife for 50, 60 years? What does it look like to to finish life well? 
That is wisdom that only people who are older have. have. So have the younger generation over to your house. Sit with them in church. Worship with them. We're not a segregated body by age, but an integrated body because that's how God has designed it. So older people, I think the charge here from Paul is don't sit around and take it easy. You've got so much kingdom work left to do. Sure, it might look a little different than it did 40 years ago, but you've still got a lot left to give. All right, well, let's talk about the younger people now. Look at uh, starting in verse 4. <clears throat> and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, younger people in the church. Once again, I'll let you determine where that age is. But younger people, do not be drawn in and allured to the temptations of this world. Do not be drawn into the keeping up with the Joneses and having the same thing as the family down the street or, or matching whatever you see by some fake family on Instagram or social media. Instead, dive into the biblical community we have here and disciple your family well. For women, I think he's, he's encouraging here to not be allured into the need to compare yourself to others and keep up with whatever you see in your friends or on social media. And that's what I think he's getting at when he says here, working at home. Paul is not saying that women can never work outside the home or, or can't make money outside of the home, but he's instead saying your focus, and this is for men too, your focus should be on your family, not on the fleeting things of this world, to instead focus on loving your husband, on raising your children. That is what he is communicating here. As a mom, your focus should be on discipling and loving your kids, not on social media or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. Not bad to have hobbies, right? It's not bad to do things you enjoy, especially as a parent. Sometimes you need a little bit of a break, but your focus should be on your family. Then for men, I think he just gives a charge here to not be lured into the passions and goals that are set before us in the American dream at the expense of our families and gospel witness. See, the American dream says that if you work hard enough, if you make enough money, you can get a bigger house, have a nicer car, have all of these things that provide, quote-unquote, security. But what it doesn't tell you is that the expense of these things often will be your family and gospel witness. So what do you do as a man, a young man in the church? A couple things. Number one, invest in your family. Make your hobbies whatever their hobbies are. Invest in your family. Disciple your kids. Well, we're not going to go into all of that. That was last week. If you want to go, go listen to the sermon from last week. It's on family discipleship. Disciple your kids. Then also as a young man, I would say, uh, for myself included, listen to the older generation. They've got wise things to say that we have not been through life yet in. Listen to those who are older. Don't think that we have it all figured out. Isn't that just the ploy that every young person falls into? That we've got it all figured out? That we know what's up? We might have a few things figured out, but we need to listen and be humble 
And I think that goes for everybody. If we're going to mutually invest in each other, we must walk in humility and love and in unity with one another. Not saying, well, this generation's just, they don't know how to, how to do church right. Or, you know, this generation, they're just, they're too old or something. No, that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible calls us to mutually invest in one another. And that's what church membership is. Church membership is mutual investment in each other. It's not coming and, you know, clicking your ticket that you've been to church today. It's coming and investing here with the people, with us, growing with us. And together we have like a symbiotic relationship that we would grow up in the Lord together. So for all four of these fears, here's kind of a summary. Number one, pray for one another. Are you praying for your fellow church members? Are you praying? I don't just mean, I mean, obviously, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are in the hospital. That's a given. But are, are you praying for your church members' spiritual condition? That they would be kept from temptation? That they would overcome the evil one by the power of Christ? Are you praying for your fellow church members? Number two, get to know one another. If we're going to be a church that has mutual investment, we must know one another. Here's one thing that is so easy for Christians to do. It's so easy for us to have a fellowship that is a mile wide and an inch deep. And here's what I mean by that. We know a lot of shallow things about everybody, but do we really know each other? Do we know our struggles? Do we know the sin that's in our life? Do we know what we need to be prayed for? Do we know these people? Do you know your fellow church members? Do they know you? Isn't it easy to come in and give the Baptist, I'm fine? You might have done that today. Walk in, hey brother, how you doing? I'm doing fine, had a good week, had a good week. Well, meanwhile, it's like a dumpster fire in your life. Are you being real? Are you opening up and allowing people into your life? We have to get to know one another, know our hurts, know our struggles. This is a safe place for you to be honest about who you are. Goodness, if you can't do it at church where the gospel is prevalent, where can you do it? Then number three, don't chastise the generation that's different than you. Don't be frustrated. Seek unity and love one another. We are one church. We're one church. Not a young church, not an old church. We are the church, one church. We unify around sound doctrine and the gospel. We are a gospel community, not an age community or a preference community. We are a gospel community. So God's design for the church is for us to pursue him together and invest in one another mutually. The significance of this, this is, this is how we live out the gospel. This is how we are supposed to do it together, not separate, but together. So for you, what can you do today? I would just encourage you, if you are on the fringe, if you are thinking about diving into the fellowship here, if you're thinking, man, I'm not being honest with my church members about how I'm actually doing. I'm really struggling. I need prayer. That's what the church is here for. Don't free solo it like that crazy guy who's climbing up a 7,000-foot 7, mountain. You don't need to live life that way. You weren't meant to live life that way. And here's where it's all rooted and grounded. We're a gospel community. It's one of our core values here. That means that your sin, your struggles, your doubts, your lack of assurance, 
your broken marriages or friendships or whatever it is, they're welcome here because we have the answer in Christ that brings restoration to our relationships. You know, the church is a hospital. It's not a country club. It's a hospital for sick people, for people who need the Lord. And when you go to the hospital, it's uncomfortable, right? They ask you weird questions. They poke you and prod you and you know, do all these tests and everything, but you leave better because of the work the hospital did. In the same way, the church welcomes all who are sick and need, all who are broken and in their sin. And when the gospel is applied to their life, they're restored and leave better than when they came in. So I just encourage you, plug into the community here. That might mean that you want to come and join the church. If you want to do that, we would love for you to be a member here. It might mean that you've been a member for a long time, but never really engaged in the church here. And I tell you, a great first step is to plug into a small group or plug into a Sunday school class. Those meet at 930 on Sunday morning. That's a great actionable step for you to take to say, you know what? I'm done playing games. I want to know the people here. I want to plug in here as a member. That's a great way to do it. But I'll say this and then we'll close. You know, today we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We see throughout this passage the need for us to be unified, the need for us to be one as a church and not different um, factions, but instead to move forward in unity, unified by the Spirit as a church. And so I'll just say this. If you've got a broken relationship with someone in the church, if you've got a, a relationship that you've done something that you know is wrong and you've not confessed it yet, Paul gives a pretty stern warning in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper when he says, listen, if you are in sin and you've not gotten that right with the Lord and gotten it right with your brother, you need to abstain from the Lord's Supper because we need to take the Lord's Supper with clean hands and a pure heart. And you might say, well, I'm, no one's perfect. How am I supposed to be able to do this? It's about, is there unconfessed sin in your life? And so if you've got a broken relationship with someone in the church, your application, what you need to do is go to that person and get right with them. And say, you know what, I'm sorry. I've done some things that are wrong. I've done some things, said some things that were wrong. Will you forgive me? Can we move forward? That's what it looks like to apply what we've talked about today if you have a broken relationship. So we're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going to worship together. And if you need to come down here and pray and repent before the Lord or, or you want to come to me and maybe join the church or you would like to uh, just pray or maybe you want to be saved, that's what we're going to do during this time. But I would tell all of us have a response to the sermon. All of us have a response. What are you going to do to respond to the message this morning? Let me pray for us and then we'll respond.